Hey, this is Brian McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on alscoop.com. Welcome back to The Scoop. This is Season 6, Episode 30. I'm John DiCarlo. Sam Cohen and Sam Newman are with me, as always. And look who's back. Kyle Gauss, wearing a... uh, You want to tell people about the t-shirt you're wearing? It's just a goat with the number 21 on it. You should switch the numbers. Flop them so it's like 12. Yeah, that very congested oh. fan is Sam Cohen. <laughs> yes, do I sound that bad? You just sound a tad congested. I'm. It's true. The quality of his new mic is so good that we can hear everything just so well. <laughs> that could be it too. Sam and I have the same mic now. Yeah, so you guys should probably feel pretty left out. <sighs> Sam, one of those mics in mine. Just saying. <laughs> no, the other, the one, the the oh, original Yeti it? mic. I didn't break it. It's just not working as well anymore. He was mad. Yeah, what, what could I have, the last what could I have done to break it? it? Do you honestly think I'm nah. sitting what, here like a toddler? What do you mean? What, do you mean what could you have done to break it? It's there's a million things you could have done to break it. Literally, like <laughs> plug it in, and you could have spilled soup on it. You could have knocked it over with your knee, like your elbow. There's a million different ways. I do I'm love not, soup. I'm not blaming you, but I I do love soup. That's not completely implausible. Right. But I've not spilled it's soup. Possible on. it could happen. Sam needs some soup. Sam Cohn needs some soup. Episode 30. I could I could use a warm bowl of soup. Yes. Famous 30s, Bernard Pierce. Yeah. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. Steph Curry. Steph Curry, one of them. Terrell Davis. Uh, TJ Simmons, famous four star from Lakeland. TJ Simmons, one of the one of the one of the one of the four stars that didn't quite make it. Cliff Floyd. Cliff Floyd. Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan wore 30. I thought you wore 34. Can we just say I love that this is something that like I started like a year ago and we're still doing it. Yeah, and I feel I like the, we're at 34. <laughs> yeah, the last several episodes we've not been good at it, I feel like. I mean, but coming out of the shoot right away with Bernard Pierce is good. Still one that of the best temple running backs of, of all time is an NFL career. And, and we're 30 with the Angels. Nolan Ryan did. Okay. So, hey, count it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Bernard Pierce is probably the most applicable due to the temple connection. Yeah. Anyway, heavy football, heavy podcast for you guys. Oh, wait. North Philly connection. 30 North Philly connection, North Philly connection. Um, One of Rashid John Wallace. Jamie. Yep. Rashid Wallace. Yes. She Wallace. Good pick. Uh, anyway, good to have Kyle back. Good to be talking to all of you again this week. Thanks for tuning in and listening. It's going to be a football-heavy podcast. Spring football is back. The weather's nice today as we're recording. Uh, we are not able to be at spring practice. Uh, Rod Carey said this week something to the effect of, like, it's good to have you guys back. If CDC guidelines and Philly guidelines change, we will potentially be able to see some spring ball. Who knows if that will actually happen. But in the meantime, it's talking to the coaches, talking to players. But we've had a lot of media access this week. We've got some clips to play for you guys from Rod Carey. Mike Uranovich, Jeff Knowles, Jaden Blue, plenty of good stuff. Got some basketball recruiting uh, to talk about. We mentioned Emmanuel Akpomo. Oh, I butchered his name, right? Akpomo, I think. Akpomo. Uh, we mentioned him on the podcast last week as uh, one of uh, a couple of potential guys 
that Temple uh, was recruiting out of the transfer portal. And sure enough, uh, several days later, he has committed to Temple out of Wake Forest. We'll talk a little bit later about him. Uh, plenty of mailbag questions to get to as well. But let's get right to the topic at hand, which is spring ball. Again, talk to Rod Carey on Monday, Will Quenku on Tuesday, uh, Jaden Blue as well, Amir Tyler. And then today, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. We got the coordinators, offensive coordinator Mike Urimovich, defensive coordinator uh, Jeff Knowles. Again, we're missing out on the part where we can't be there to see even even the last 15, 20 minutes or so. Uh, sometimes what we can see at the end of the practice is either some special teams work, or sometimes you can get a sense of who's running with the first team, second team, third team. We can't see that with our own eyes, but start to get an impression of you know who's starting to flash. Some of the names that are continuing to come up. Uh, Kobe Wilson seems to be impressing as, as he was at the end of last season. James Dallapasca's name has come up a, a couple of times, a tight end which would make them look smart for recruiting him out of North Jersey. I think he was a Gabe Infante recruit, right? Uh, and uh, had gotten hurt his yeah. season? Uh, my understanding with James Delapasco was if you had asked if he was going to end up at Temple after like his sophomore year, that probably would have been people would be like, no, he's going to go a little higher. Then you yeah. get, I think he just completely missed his junior year and only played like two games this season. Right. So yeah. that was a guy where yeah, they just took a flyer on somebody that has the potential to be better than – his recruiting ranking. Yeah. And, you know, some of the other names have come up, Trey Blair, Yvonne Rigby, Jordan McGee at linebacker. Obviously one of the biggest stories of the spring is going to be a quarterback with Dewan Mathis, Deuce Mathis. Uh, got some stuff on him from Rod Carey, from Jaden Blue a little bit later on. Uh, I know it's a general question for you guys, but you've been in the media sessions. What are your general impressions of what you've taken from, you know, some of the conversations so far? Well, I guess just first and foremost, I mean, I, I think the talk about DeJuan Mathis has been, you know, what kind of we expected. I mean, they love his athletic ability, love his arm. I mean, I think from what we heard from Jaden and even just Amir Tyler, just the way that they've been talking him up. I mean, Jaden, I mean, we knew that I think we knew this kind of we confirmed it on our own and but didn't report it that Jaden and, and Randall had been reached out to by DeJuan and, and he kind of confirmed and Jaden confirmed that and it seemed that they built that relationship and, and got there and continue to build it. And it seems pretty strong. I mean, I know that we kind of expected him to come in the camp, not like, you know, he he's, has to win the job, but he the, pretty much his to lose at this point. Um, and, and that's kind of the expectations that I, the, what we anticipated and kind of what we've kind of heard so far. Um, I don't think anybody, anything's been too surprising, but, you know, definitely the quarterback situation in, Actually, I take that back. I think the way that Mariano Valente has been talked about, not like generally surprising, but like encouraging, definitely encouraging that you have two quarterbacks being talked up like that, especially when they have no idea what they're going to do there. So yeah, that, those are my takeaways. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting, especially since uh, Mike Ramovich correctly said that you're not only looking to figure out who the starting starter is at quarterback, you're looking to figure out who his backup is. Like this is a complete wipe of this uh, clean slate that they need to figure out all – four people in the depth chart for quarterback. But I'll say what kind of stuck out to me was a comment from Rod Carey uh, on Monday where he said, talent-wise, the cornerback room is better this year than it was last year. And that's a room that lost a guy that started for like three years, Linwood Crump, uh, is presumably, unless something miraculous happens, going to lose a guy in Christian Braswell uh, via the transfer portal. So despite those two departures and Camille Brown, who just left, 
Um, Talent-wise, they are better at cornerback. Uh, I don't know if I fully agree with that yet. I think maybe you can make that argument a little more once Cameron Ruiz is here and they have a Big Ten quality cornerback in the room. But uh, if that's the case and they can end up putting game productivity to match that talent, then that's a gigantic step in the right direction. I was going to mention, but Sam beat me to it, about um, we've heard more about Mariano Valenti than I think we may have uh, just it's encouraging to hear good signs from him. But uh, I was going to mention my probably my biggest takeaway is that we've heard understandably good things about Jaden Blue and Randall Jones. But to hear that uh, to hear Devon Fox and Jose Barbone's names thrown around a little bit as guys that obviously have room to grow, but have at least shown flashes of a couple good days to start spring practice, I think is encouraging in that receiver room. And, and Kyle mentioned before we got on the air um, here that, you know, you kind of often don't hear when you ask a player what they need to get their teammate needs to get better at. You don't hear as honest as of an answer as Jaden kind of gave me when I asked him about Jose Barbone. He was like, he just needs to start catching the ball with his hands because he likes to catch it with his chest. And, um, you know, I talked to Jose Barbone. Hopefully we'll have a story up on the site later this week or whenever that gets up. But, um, you know, I think he knows it. The entire staff knows that he's ready to take that step up. He has the he has elite athleticism, definitely a very fast player pretty decent blocker. I mean, they're waiting for him to take that step up. And you, I mean, you obviously need a third receiver to step up with Brandon Mack exiting the program. And to just go off Kyle's point about the cornerbacks. I mean, um, I, I asked Jeff Knowles about this today. Uh, we're recording on a Wednesday about Keyshawn Paul. And I mean, he said, you can already tell like he's a veteran in, in a young room and he's already, and it sounds like he's already stepping up and playing at a high level. Um, from the first two practices. I would be shocked if he's not their number one cornerback, but that's encouraging, especially because, you know, you lose your number one cornerback in, in Braswell and, and essentially Paul's probably becomes that guy. We'll talk a little bit more about the the, the cornerbacks a little bit later. We did talk to uh, that's Jeff Knowles today and asked him about the corners. And uh, maybe this is what Rod's referring to. I mean, obviously you add, you add Ruiz who they don't have, in the building just yet, still finishing up at Northwestern. We've talked about, Sam just mentioned Keyshawn Paul. And then some of the younger guys who are fast, like a Dayon Hawkins, I asked Jeff Knowles about him. We've got, you know, got something on him a little bit later in the podcast. They just moved Jeremy Jennings over there. Jeff Knowles, you'll hear him say a little bit later, likes what he's seen from him, a guy from, uh, from our neck of the woods, Downingtown East, who's always had speed and just really hasn't been able, hasn't been, I guess, good enough to get on the field, whether it was a, uh, you know, as a slap back or something like that. He was, he played both positions at, at Downingtown, uh, playing running back, I think playing some receiver and then playing cornerback. So maybe he's found a home there, but maybe they feel like they have more pure speed over there. Again, certainly they've lost some experience. We'll get to that in a little bit. One of the things that Rod talked about on Monday was, of course, just how hard they were hit in the transfer portal. We'll play this clip for you. This is him just talking about you know, the makeup of the team. I think there was a slight twinge, which is fine, where you can, I think, kind of hear him getting a little defensive about, you know, the, the, the door swinging both ways in the portal and saying, Hey, you know, we, we recruited it just as much as we, again, I'm paraphrasing here as much as we lost uh, players to it. So we'll play this first clip for you here. This is him talking about the makeup of the team. But no, I like our team makeup. Uh, you know, the door swings both ways in the transfer portal and uh, it's not an exit only. It's also an entrance. And so uh, we feel like we have, um, you know, done exactly what we should have done and improved uh, our football team. Uh, you know, simple math would say that, uh, you know, when you're at a group of five school, you'd like to take guys from power five school. And, 
we've done that. And in some cases we've reached down. Those are those exceptions, but uh, you know, we've, we've certainly done that and improved our football team. I mean, did I, did I read that right? Do you guys felt like he got just like a tad defensive there when he was talking about the portal again, there's no, yeah, question. they lost a lot of he players. Did. Yeah. They lost a lot of guys, but again, it becomes, I don't want to say it becomes a moot point. Obviously if Arnold Abichetti goes and has, you know, 12 sacks at Penn state this year and becomes a, second round draft pick, it's going to, it's going to hurt them. And we'll see what guys like Isaiah Graham Mobley and Chris Banks do up at uh, Banks is at Boston college. Right. Yeah. And then of course, um, you know, losing some of the other guys that they lost Russo to Michigan state. Uh, but you know, yeah, you if David, we'll be the Rutgers. I mean, I, I think you're completely right. I think there was a, a tinge of a twinge, whatever you want to say of, of, uh, uh, defensiveness, I guess. There, I mean, yeah. think about this from the Rod Carey perspective. You've been hearing about this for four months now. Yep. Like this is something that, like, this has been the every single storyline for the last four months has been yeah. like Temple hemorrhaging this. And if I'm him, I'm I, part of me is like, hey, like, we've also added ten guys to this sure. team via this. So, like, I'm sure there is a bit of defensiveness, but like, until they go out and they write this ship, that's the storyline. Until September it comes and they can, if they beat Rutgers or if they beat Boston College or if they go eight and four, then okay, then the storyline changes. But until then, like, you you were completely right to ask about it. Yeah, yeah. and at the same time, just piggybacking on what Kyle said, that's just going to be the topic of conversation because we can't go at spring practices and see the new transfers, and you won't see who they've added on the field until September. So it becomes more – it's more about who they lost and not who they gained up until we actually see on the field. And I think – that's kind of, you know, where the fan base stands at. And I mean, it, it, John, it was a fair, I think it was a totally fair question for you to ask. I think Kerry's probably just sick of it at this point because they've moved it. They've turned it around. They've moved a new leaf. They have the covenant. They have the temple tough covenant. They have the all in wristband. So they're trying what they do. To, they're trying to do what they can to mitigate that. So I understand his response. And if, and if Gil and Teray, again, we, we know this, if, if Gil and Teray contribute, the way they think they can contribute again, Jeff Knowles had some great things to say about them today. If Will Rogers gives them, you know, I don't expect him to give them maybe what Arnold Ebiketti had the chance of giving him this year, but again, who, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see. Obviously again, if those guys step in and play the way that they think they can. And if, um, you know, if, if a guy like Sean Paul comes in and really doesn't lose a step from where he was two seasons ago at UConn, then like Kyle said, then, then it changes the narrative and you say, yeah, we lost some guys, but you know, we didn't, we didn't really miss a beat with the guys that we had. The other big storyline of course, is the arrival of Deuce Mathis, obviously a, a big time recruit, former four-star recruit uh, had committed to a couple of places, right. To Ohio state. And then where else am I forgetting before you ended up? I think at it was Michigan state. So his hometown school. Then he flips to Ohio state. Then Justin Fields transfers to Ohio state. So he flips to Georgia. Right. So obviously, again, you guys, most of you who are hardcore Temple fans know by now, started George's opener, uh, was eventually removed from the game, had the concussion, uh, didn't finish out the, the season as the starter there. But again, arrives with a lot of potential. Uh, Rod's going to be asked about him, was asked about him this week. We asked Mike Yaramovich about him this week. But here's Rod Carey talking about the guy who would, you know, again, nobody has anointed him the starter just yet. We mentioned Mariano Valenti earlier. Uh, you know, Real Mitchell's in the mix uh, to a certain extent, maybe Matt Duncan's there, but, you know, like obviously a lot of intrigue surrounding a guy of his caliber. So here's what Rod Carey had to say about Dwan Mathis on Monday. 
the number one thing that he has to do this spring is just get comfortable with the offense. Um, all the physical abilities are there. He can throw, he can run, the whole deal. But when you're talking about, uh, you know, a guy who he's only played in a few college football games, right? Um, he just has to learn this offense, which is a new offense, and then he's got to get comfortable so that those decisions can be, you know, made at the speed which which they need to be made at. Right now, it's just a steep learning curve. So that would be my um, goal for him. All right, so there you have Rod Carey just saying, again, the number one thing he has to do is just get comfortable with the offense. I think anybody uh, that we've talked to so far has said, yeah, more or less, he's been as good as advertised in terms of his arm, his physical tools, can run it. Uh, again, you'll hear a little bit later. I think it was Mike Uranovich who said today, yeah, he's in here a lot watching film. Uh, you know, you'll hear, um, can't remember if it's the, one of the clips we're going to play for you, but Jaden Blue had talked about as soon as, as Dwan Mathis committed, he reached out to Jaden, reached out to Randall Jones. They said, that, you know, the preparation's there, all the physical abilities there. He's just got to really get settled in and, um, you know, and, and get comfortable with the offense. Again, it might sound like the obvious question to, to ask. And again, we're not there, you know, we can't see with our own eyes if he's sailing a bunch of throws or if he's hitting on a bunch of throws or if Mariano Valenti comes in and uh, runs the first team offense and looks really sharp. We can't tell you with our own eyes. Uh, all we can really do is ask the coaches, but I mean, it sure sounds like they're heading in that direction where it does. I hate to say, Oh, it's this person's job to lose unless you're talking about, you know, a bona fide NFL starter or someone like that. But are you guys getting that impression that it really is his job to lose and it's kind of heading in that direction? I mean, I don't know who it sounds like Valenti is the guy that maybe no disrespect to Real Mitchell, who saw some time last year. It feels like those are the two names that keep coming up and keep coming up. I think so. It is his, it is his job to lose at this point, not because like they promised him anything, but just because of the sheer athletic ability and probably what he adds um, to the offense. I mean, when you hear Mike Aramovich talking how they might have eight, 12, 14 design quarterback runs or something like that, that obviously points the finger to, okay, maybe DeJuan Mathis is going to be your starting quarterback. But it also points the finger that in life beyond Anthony Russo, Temple is going to have more mobile quarterbacks and they're probably going to have, you know, that probably more of a traditional Northern Illinois offense than we saw with Russo, because I know they finally tried to get Russo kind of mobile and running before he got hurt. And he did have those two rushing touchdowns against Navy, but he obviously didn't have the athleticism that Dewan Mathis or the guys behind him possess. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but I, I think right now the way that's tailoring, the way that they're talking about is like, yeah, they would love for Dewan Mathis to come in and win the job, but I mean, he has to, he has to win it outright. So I think looking at it that way is totally fair. Yeah, I, I would agree. I don't know if I'd use the phrase quite yet, like his job to lose, but it seems like it's going that way, right? I mean, we're three games, three practices into the spring. Um, so you still have a while ago, just in, I think they, I know what they're saying. I think they practiced in helmets and no, like just like shorts and helmets on Sunday, um, just based upon what people have posted on social media. Like Jalen Ware was posting stuff on Sunday. So I think, so whatever, we're a handful of practices into the spring. Um, I, it seems like it's going that way. The pedigree's there. The fact that he's the only one that actually has like real starting experience outside of Real Mitchell. Um, I would think it's going that way. I, I think it's still going to be an open competition. Rod Carey said, hey, ideally, I you know you hope somebody comes in and blows him away and we get named this on April 30th and we go into the summer knowing this. I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're going to hear all summer like, hey, like, 
Mariano really pushed him. This is really hard. Like, we want to see how this goes in the fall. And I, I don't think there's any value to announcing a starter on April 30th if it's not clear, clear cut, just because you don't want to demoralize the other players and it doesn't add anything. So I think it's going to be a we'll, – we'll be talking about this in August is what I think. Hopefully yeah, I don't want him to be- hopefully, hopefully we'll be seeing on that there's still the ball in August, but I think we'll still be going on in August. I think also, I mean, it comes down to April 30th. How comfortable is he with the offense at that point? Right. Right, right, I mean, I think Mike Durovich even had a question or a comment today where he said, like, we, like, we, mean, like, the offensive coordinators and offensive staff have been, like, up watching practice. Like, we haven't been down there on practice with him. And he's had a couple times a week that he can, like, go and meet with Coach uh, Craig Harmon and, and learn the offense. So, like, he's still early days with learning this offense. And uh, you hope that it's complex enough that it, he can't learn it in three days. So I think this is something that just for the betterment of everybody, it's going to stretch on for the next four months. Betterment of everybody except for the people on this call right now, because we're going to have to answer the same questions about this for four months. Yeah, and I asked Mike about that today, and he's, what he, he said something to the effect of like, you know, we, I've been around all sorts of different situations where sometimes, you know, after a week, sometimes you don't, you don't know at all. And, um, but we'll get to we'll get to this clip now and, and talking about Jaden Blue. Obviously, a big deal that he's coming back. It would have been even worse if Temple had lost players like him and Randall Jones. And again, after you know around the holidays, you didn't know where it was going to stop. Or even after Christmas, coming back in January again. Any of these guys, you know, there are a couple of guys from the roster that could leave after spring ball, whether they're good or not. They could decide to say, you know what, this isn't a good fit, or the coaches could say, hey, if you want to play X number of snaps a game might be, might be possible for you, but it's not going to be here. But, you know, there was a lot of speculation, excuse me, around Jaden blue, Randall Jones, once things got going, but it is a big deal that Jaden blue is coming back. Of course he had the monster season two seasons ago, had 41 catches for 381 yards and five touchdowns in six games last season. So again, he comes back with Randall Jones. Uh, we talked to him yesterday. One of the things he said was that uh, Thad Ward temples receivers coach was a big reason why he came back. On top of them getting Deuce Mathis, you know, he did again say that that Mathis reached out to him and Jones as soon as he committed. That was important to him. And I think at, at a point he brought up Mariano Valente kind of unprompted, right? And uh, we want to play this clip for you because, again, like, you know, who's to say? Maybe Real Mitchell makes a push. Maybe Matt Duncan really flashes and makes this a, a three or four player race. Not sure that that'll happen, but Jaden Blue did talk about Mariano Valente yesterday, and here is what he had to say about him. Uh, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Mariano. Uh, really liking what I'm seeing from him. He's he, me and him had a really good conversation uh, a week or so ago, uh, just talking about him just always staying ready, you never know how the situation may be. And he's he's done nothing but all spring ball so far. Just rise to the occasion. I mean, not rise to the occasion, but. It can, you can see that clearly his preparation, everything that he's been doing is, is paying off because he has started off with a great spring ball. So um, the other guys, I haven't really repped with them like that, so it wouldn't be um, best for me to speak on that. All right, so some interesting stuff. Again, you got to remember Mariano Valente is a guy who couldn't play last year, was ineligible, didn't get immediate eligibility as a transfer. If he had, he you know, probably would have probably would have seen some snaps last season because they, they needed somebody – to fill in there when Russo got hurt, when Chad Betty got hurt, Real Mitchell got hurt. As we know, Kamal Gray was playing. Matt Duncan was suspended for the ECU game. Uh, so probably might have seen some snaps last season, but you, know, you hear Jaden Blue saying, you know, we had a good conversation a week or so ago just about him. You know, it talked about him always staying ready. So you hear that. 
and maybe you're thinking, okay, Jaden's telling him like staying ready. You, you might be the backup, but he also says, you know, you can see clearly with his preparation, everything he's been doing is paying off because he had a uh, start off with a great spring ball. So again, his name comes up, CJ Perez had brought him up uh, a guy that, that, you know, in his time in high school uh, flashed the ability to move, you know, with the ball and to, and to, you know, to move out of the pocket too, and might give them the capability to do some of the stuff that they want to do there. Um, so again, big deal that Jaden Blue's coming back along with Randall Jones. We mentioned Mike Uremovich. We talked to him today, talked to Jeff Knowles today, got a, you know, good, some good stuff out of, out of both those guys. Again, anytime you can talk to the coordinators, gives you a good sense of, you know, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to install. You get more of a micro look at some of these guys and some of these players, you guys, again, you were on the, um, Sam Cohn, you weren't on the Uramovich call, right? No, I was. Okay, I forgot. There's a guy. I was, who knows. The, I was not on the Jaden Blue and Amir Tyler and Will Quinku call. Don DiCarlo, knowing his staff, 24 hours a day. <laughs> I don't think Sam had his camera on today. His, yeah. That might be why. Yeah, he was keeping a low profile. I've been, I've been in rough shape. I'm very congested. Yeah. Kind of rolled out of bed into class and then rolled out of class into uh, into the press conference. I didn't think people wanted to see my face. You sound a little like, like Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller. Like when, when he had left the message. When he's to make the fit though. Yeah. 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 We can do a save Sam. Have you heard about Sam? He's in rough shape. Save Sam. There'll be a new band called save Sam. Anyway, Sam is fine. We hope he's fine. He's here with us. Um, but during that call today, Mike Uremovich, Yeah. Went in depth about, you know, pretty much all the, all the position groups, of course, talked about the quarterbacks. What jumped out to you guys today about what he had to say? Real quick, before we get to your ambition, this would have been better like five minutes ago, but I just now found it. This will not be the first time that Mariana Valente and Dwan Mathis have competed against each other. In 2017, Dwan Mathis is a junior at Oak Park, beat Brother Rice uh, and Mariana Valente in the district title game. It's good. It's good so find by that? Kyle. Good Mariana find by Valente Kyle. that day through for 160 yards. Dwan Mathis, dual threat quarterback, did most of his damage on the ground, rushed for 105 yards to beat them. So they've, they've met before, John, from uh, the, the glove. Is that, what, what's the nickname from Michigan? The glove? The glove state? Gary Payton state. The glove. Yes, that's it. The Gary S. <laughs> or if yes. you're in Ohio, it's what? the That state up there, is that what it is? Is that what they call them? Because they don't want to say Michigan. Or that team up there, something like that. I don't know. You do more Midwest traveling for your job than than I do, so I don't know. Maybe this is where you're getting all this. Michigan stuff. and uh, Wisconsin are not the same state, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they're not the same state. I'm just saying you you seem to be more familiar with like, oh, they call this state this. They call. So this is also like geographically. I I know it probably is geographically. I don't consider Minnesota and Wisconsin like the Midwest. Like I consider like the Midwest to be like Indiana, Ohio, right, right. Michigan, maybe like Northern Kentucky. But like once you get like that far north, that's a whole different world to me. That's like Canada South. <laughs> anyway, some good some some good insight from Mikey Ramovich. Yes, geography one on one with Kyle. My wife's terrible at geography. I pretty much do geography one on one every day. She thought <laughs> Indiana was in the South. That was like she thought that until like five years ago. She thought Thank like. You. Yeah, because like I told her, like I was born in the South. I was. I, I lived in Georgia for the first part of my life. But then when Meg met me, she knew. Oh, Kyle also lived in in, in Indiana for, for a while, which I did. So she then combined the two and said, "Lived in Indiana, lived in the South. Indiana's in the South." 
You know what would happen next time we get together? If I said, uh, Kyle brought this up, she would shoot you a look and say, why'd you bring that up? John? No, she my, wife does, my wife's not a look shooter. She will just tell me like, the F's wrong with you. Like, why'd you bring that up? Yeah. Won't, like, no more it's a logical up. conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. Anyway, Mike Uramovich, what stood out? Yeah, so something I found interesting about um, Mike Uramovich, I asked him about the tight ends, and he said that uh, Darius Pittman would be more a guy with a hand on his ground, kind of a blocking guy, get, you know, getting the dirty work. I actually gave Mark Robinson kind of mentioned that um, the tight ends have actually been working with the offensive line before that, so that probably plays into that. But then a guy like David Martin Robinson and James Del Pesca are going to be more moving around, I guess, uh, whether it's like your traditional tight end, maybe a H-back, fullback, any any type of that. So they're going to be more of the guys who are movable. But he kind of – I mean, he implied that, like, they would like to have two tight ends, but at the same time on the, on the field, but at the same time he was like, if I have two wide receivers standing next to me, like, that's not going to do us any good. So – I mean, maybe he, that's kind of a sign that he, he's hopeful that some wide receiver, like a third wide receiver, will step up or whoever. But um, I, I think they have a pretty good, solid top three guys in the tight end room. He said he mentioned uh, Vincent Picozzi's younger brother, Nick Picozzi, is somebody who gotten stronger. And it probably is a blocking tight end by trade. But um, James Pasca, the way that they've been talking it up, he seems like he can be a guy who can make a real impact just based on if he's able to see the field or not. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I thought that was interesting because James Del Pesca, when he first committed, uh, it was kind of like, hey, what position is he going to play? Is he going to play linebacker? Is he going to play tight end? Because he's only 6'2", which is not what you normally typically think for a tight end. But if he's playing more of like an H-back role as a tight end, that makes some sense that you're putting his, his athleticism against mismatches. Um, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me, real quick, when we talked about, hey, when he said, well, but there's two good wide receivers standing next to me, I'm not doing my job right. We kind of keep forgetting about Ahmad Anderson, the Purdue transfer, who's an mm-hmm. established guy who might be their third wide receiver. Uh, and if you get Jose Barbon in there pushing for third or fourth wide receiver, that's great and all. But I just named, combine them with Randall Jones and Jaden Blue, and you just named four guys that are pretty tiny. Um, you're missing Brandon Mack at that 6'5, right? So I'm wondering if. You pretty much have two names that can kind of compete there at wide receiver. Jordan Smith or Ronnie Stevenson are, are taller guys that might be able to kind of fill roles in smaller situations. Jordan Smith's name has come up as like a guy that people are a little excited about. He was a decent, decently recruited guy. Might finally get his opportunity. But that might be where the tight ends kind of factor in. Um, if you can't get that production from a tall wide receiver, then you go with a two with like a jumbo package and you go with two tight ends on the, on the line there and see if you can get production in the red zone that way. One of the things that stuck out to me was uh, somebody asked him, is it easier for the offensive linemen to kind of adjust this spring, knowing that regardless of who's behind them, like they have to uh, tend for a dual threat quarterback. And your Rembich mentioned like, yeah, like that's easier. Like, yeah, there's some power situations, but they know that like, regardless, they have to kind of buy time for that. The offensive line is going to be interesting to me, not necessarily because of, who's going to be starting. I think there's a good chance we can name off the five stars now, Isaac Moore, Adam Klein, uh, CJ Perez, Joseph Hooper, most likely, um, and Michael Neese. It's just what order are they going to be in? One of the photos that went out on social media this week has Adam Klein at left guard. Mm-hmm. Adam Klein didn't play left guard last year. Adam Klein played uh, right tackle two years ago. I think he shifted into right guard for a little bit. I think he played left guard, didn't Is that he? that where they started them at? I thought that was Pekosi. I think he played at left guard eventually. Oh, because Pacozzi was initially left tackle, right? Yeah. Isaac Moore. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that, like, things are still shuffling around. 
Does Joseph Hooper move to right guard? Does Wisdom Corshi start at right guard? Like, there's still just a combination of where are these guys going to be? I know, I understand that they like to cross train. They want flexibility. But at a certain point, you have to learn how to play that position. So that'll be something to kind of keep. One of the other pictures on social media had, I believe, had Michael Neese playing right tackle. So it appears that they like him there. I guess that's where he he started the first four or five games there, right? Before he graded out pretty well there, I think, too. Yeah, and then I think David Wugugu ended up playing a little bit there at the end, but that was just out of necessity. Um, so, I mean, I think they have six guys that they like. You probably need to develop a seventh and eighth, whether that's Sam Davis, whether that's Bryce Thoman, whether that's the guy on the transfer board they haven't gotten yet. Um, I think they'd still need to add a, a starting caliber offensive lineman, but that's a storyline to follow up. And that stuck out to me today is his talking about that offensive line group. A little bit more keeping with, not to turn this into the Dewan Mathis podcast, but again, Mike Ravich was asked about Dewan Mathis, what he liked about him, what he's seen so far from the former Georgia quarterback. And here's what Mike had to say about his potential starter under center. The group as a whole, just in general, um, they're all really hard workers, as they should be. They're quarterbacks. They're all students of the game. They're all learning um, the offense and the package that we're putting in. Um, obviously, Dewan comes here as a new player. Um, I'm excited about his athletic ability. He does throw the football really well. And he is a he is a guy that works hard at the game. You know, he's been here this spring. We haven't been on the field, but he's been able to come to the meeting room by himself and watch a lot of film. There's certain times during the, throughout the week he's been able to meet with Coach Harmon with the other quarterbacks to start to learn the offensive package. Right, so, again, you hear some of the stuff there that some other people have said. He's not a one-dimensional quarterback. He can do both. You get sometimes you get guys that are known as athletes or pocket passers. You can do both. So um, some would call that a dual threat quarterback. A dual threat quarterback. So again, I mean, it, it sounds again for the fifteenth time we are not down there watching with our own eyes, but it sounds like so far like he's like he's doing all the right things. I think everybody. I, I think particularly the coaches. I guess you know even if 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 Dewan has come in wanting to you know be as prepared as he can be being a good teammate. And again, we're, we're getting access to him. What this week? Is he talking this week, next week? Yeah. I think he's Friday. Yeah. So we should be talking to him soon, which would be cool. Um, I would imagine that the coaches probably want to have a healthy level of, of saying to him. Yeah. Just because you were Georgia's starter for one game last year, doesn't going to mean you're cruising. You're going to cruise in and, and get the job here right away. That's not to say that he said that either. Again, we'll be talking to him this week, but Sounds like so far he's been uh, doing all, all the right things there. So uh, we also talked to Jeff Knowles, Temple's defensive coordinator today. Uh, got some good stuff from him, kind of just went through every layer of the defense. I, I thought, again, one of the, maybe the things that stood out to me is, again, you know, Kyle mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, pointed out that Rod Carey had said, I think we're a more talented team. I think he said we're a more talented team, a, a better cornerback room this year than last year which is a bit of a statement to make considering that you lost a couple of guys there, but you know, a, a couple of guys that Jeff Knowles talked about today, a guy like Deion Hawkins, a guy like Jeremy Jennings said they're both flat, flat out fast. They can run. If it's just a matter of putting it together technique wise, they could have their next group of, of corners that stood out to me as maybe one of the, you know, the, the, the themes, of course, these guys get asked about things, but that seemed to be a theme to me today that they feel like they could maybe be better than people expect a corner. What'd you guys take from it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you kind of saw that a little bit in um, who they targeted in the transfer portal. When you get guys like Keyshawn Paul and Cameron Ruiz, guys that are established stars, but they're also juniors. Like they didn't go out and add like 
four-year guys at cornerback. They added guys that can kind of bridge them to that next gap in my mind. Like they like Dayon Hawkins. They like um, they, they maybe a guy like Jeremy Jennings does develop. I think they 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 see the talent there. You're also re-adding a guy like Ty Mason who started in the past. Granted, it was a game or two, but he has starting experience. A guy like Freddie Johnson is another one-year guy who has starting experience. I kind of view the cornerback room a situation almost similarly as I would view the offensive line or safety situation where you have five or six guys that they probably feel sort of comfortable about getting them out there. It's just which guys are they going to put in which situations? Are they comfortable enough to go with an extra cornerback at times? Um, it kind of stuck out to me that the Jeff Knowles kind of monitored that same situation. I think when you asked him about Hawkins, he said like, we don't have time to wait for you to like get ready. Like, yeah. You have to be ready. I think that's more of a situation where they are planning on like, they're going to roll a lot of cornerbacks out there, mm-hmm. whether that's in different in different schemes and different formations or just because, hey, it's cornerback, so inevitably somebody's going to get injured, someone's got to step up. Like, I think you're going to see some of these young guys like Hawkins or you hope you don't see like an Andrew Garwell just because he he's not on campus yet. You'd be coming in in a very short situation as a true freshman, but I think you're going to see some younger guys play this year, but I think in the end it's still going to come down to Cameron Ruiz, Keyshawn Paul, Freddie Johnson, Ty Mason, go from there. Didn't um I guess during when they were speaking about the recruiting class, didn't I was it Knowles who said that they think McMurray can come in and, and you know push to to play right away? I that believe that sounds familiar, yeah. Okay. I that I thought that was the case, but I uh, He's Kyle, right now. Yeah, like, like they're they're playing the spring season right now. Yeah. I, I mean Kyle covered it all, I think, with the cornerback room. Um, I think you would have Temple might go with that four two five formation where they play a nickel. I mean, they mentioned, or I think Amir Tyler mentioned yesterday that they'd be comfortable seeing Chauncey Moore or, or Jalen Ware in that, in that slot. Yeah. I mean, I guess that might be plausible if you see Winston lining up with Tyler. But then also another guy who would, would be good there is Cameron Ruiz. I think he got exposed more playing an outside role at Northwestern and why he kind of was on more of the bench. But when he was in the nickel, he, he played very well. So, I mean, obviously him not having the spring ball, Kind of hurts because he had the Northwestern Northwesterns and trimesters, and he had the and he graduated in March. So there's not really a way where he can just graduate and hey, I'll show up on Temple's campus and start taking school right when semester is about to finish. But um, yeah, but he's also know. an older guy with three yeah. experience. So you think you probably feel more comfortable with him missing yeah. that than somebody else. I believe um, that he also told. I know. I think you mentioned he's a junior. I think he's a senior, but he still has two years of eligibility if he wants it. He has this year and. Well, Harry year, told him, this, like, if he, he wants another year of he played, as, he played as a redshirt junior this year, but this year doesn't count towards eligibility. That's right, yeah. So he's just a redshirt junior again next year. Academically, yeah. I mean, he's a senior yeah, now. So like, he's graduating. But eligibility-wise, like – So he has two years. Of, I think both him and Paul still have two years of eligibility. Correct. Right? Paul obviously didn't play this year because UConn just said, like, F it. But um, – but, yeah, they both have two years. What's interesting, you, you mentioned four two five, and that's interesting because – it's a, it's a quote-unquote good problem to have, and it's kind of funny to be saying this when you're talking about a defense that was just so depleted last year and gave up, like, monster numbers towards the end. But, like, when you go 4-2-5, that's only two linebackers. And yep. they've mentioned that one through six, there's six guys out there that have, like, experience at linebacker that are going to be competing to for playing time. So if all of a sudden you cut that down to two linebackers, that, that'd be interesting. We also have Quantel Reigns playing the Bubo position. We haven't really talked about it. I feel like he gets uh, – I feel like there's a situation on offense, a situation on defense where these guys are just kind of screwed by the 2020 season, which is Quantel Reigns at Bubo and Azir Burnett at wide receiver, where you go, these were two 
pretty significant transfers. Yeah. They were power five transfers, and we just aren't talking about them at all anymore because well, yeah. there's been 10, 10 more transfers since then. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's there's so much stuff to get to. Again, you mentioned Deshaun Winston. His name has come up. And when I say a lot, again, we're just a few days into this. The, the, Knowles was asked about the opt-outs today. So that includes, as you said, Quantel Reigns, Trayvon King. Again, a lot of times, and I realize this in spring ball, preseason camp, these guys get asked about players. You say who's flashed. A lot of names come up. And then obviously once the games start, you get down to the nitty gritty on stuff or you could, if, if we're able to watch a scrimmage or two or ask about a scrimmage or two, then some things really start to come out in the wash. But yeah, those names came up today. Quantel Reigns, Trayvon King, Deshaun Winston. Winston's name has come up a couple of times. So these are the names that are starting to take shape as some of the guys, particularly here, the opt-outs that we kind of, I don't want to say we forgot about, but they were kind of out of sight, out of mind for that reason last year as, as uh, or last season, as crazy as it was. I think real quick, just to add credence to that, I think Sam Newman, when you talked to Jeff Knowles, didn't he say like Deshaun Winston was a guy that, or maybe it was either that or is during one of the signing day things. He said like he showed up back at the yellow and you were like, oh crap. Like, I think even Jeff Knowles yeah. had forgotten about, not yeah. actually forgotten about him, but like he'd been outside out of mind for close to a calendar year. And he shows back up. He mentioned today that like he showed up and it was obvious that he missed football and he's more locked in now than he was a year ago. And so another name. Also, sorry to interrupt you, which also presents like a, a pro, not a, a good problem to have, but then you kind of limit what you can do with Alex Odom and Trey Blair, who you who guys are emerging. So it's, kind of a product of just a weird season. Honestly, it, honestly it feels weird again to say about a team that had so many defensive problems, but like other than like maybe defensive attack, other than the defensive line, which was ransacked by the transfer portal, every other defensive position group to me, I'm thinking to myself, like, how are they going to get all these guys in the field? Mm-hmm. Like safety, how are they going to find enough snaps right by corner? How are they going to find enough snaps right by linebacker? All that. But the defensive line is just that, that question mark. I think they're going to be fun to cover in the offseason here in spring ball and in preseason camp, because again, whatever these takes are worth, you talk to some temple fans, you talk to some people and say, you know what? Jaden blue and Randall Jones came back. Maybe Rayvon Bonner and Iverson Clement can, can jumpstart the, the backfield. Maybe Deuce Mathis, if he's as good as advertised, maybe the offense is going to put up points, but you look at that defense and you think, Oh boy, there are a lot of holes. There are a lot of question marks, but as Kyle said, I think there are a lot of, yeah, I think putting the pieces together, that could be one of the great stories of the season where, you know, again, like a, a Deion Hawkins, like really plays a lot of football and you think, wow, he does have elite speed, the, the speed that they thought coming out of the Haverford school and Rogers is what you think he is. And Winston comes back. And I, I agree with you, you know, the cynical fan might say, you know, don't give me that crap, but how are you going to get snaps for all these guys? But I think it's true, you know, with between the opt-outs and between maybe some of the freshmen who become redshirt freshmen, uh, guys taking that next step, I do think that they could potentially have more talent and depth. Granted, a lot of it is untested depth, but I think that could be a great story at every level of the defense this year. Again, we know who they lost, but if some of these guys come in and fill in and they are guys that you can develop over the next couple of years, that'll be a great story to cover. Again, we, we go back to Kobe Wilson. Again, he's another one of the, the big names. And again, those of you who have followed the program, you're familiar with him. He committed to Memphis, flipped from Memphis, right? How did Georgia offer kind of late in his in his recruitment, which which jumped out? And so again, that caused some intrigue. And you know, he played some last season, uh, got thrown into the fire. And again, his name keeps coming up. Uh, a bunch of people have brought his name up, and uh, seems to be as good as advertised. We asked Jeff Knowles about him today, and here's what Jeff Knowles had to say about his linebacker. Uh, he's got a contagious energy about him. Um, 
there's something about that kid. He's going to be a special player. That's all I can tell you. Other than, uh, you know, his effort that he plays with, it, it's, I mean, he is pushing George Reed to better, to, to better himself. Um, and the guy loves football. Like he's the kind of guy I want to coach, you know, he, he cares. He loves football. He's going to, he's a team player. Um, and he's, he's just got that great energy about him. And I think everybody notices it. Even on the other side of the ball, people notice Kobe. All right, he's 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 going to be a good one. He's got some work to do, but he's still young. He's going to be a really good one for us. All right, so there you hear him talking about Kobe Wilson. You know, the, the one thing stands out to me, you know, he said he's pushing George Reed to better himself, and that guy loves football. He's the kind of guy that I want to coach. And uh, he, he talked about George Reed as well, too, and about how George has had a presence. And I think one of the things Jeff said, uh, I don't think you heard it necessarily right there in that clip, but Earlier in the conversation, he was talking about George Reed. He said, look, George knows that Kobe Wilson's trying to take his job, but he's being a good teammate. He's being a good leader, giving him pointers and giving him pointers. So uh, George Reed, a guy that has kind of been a guy that's just developed slowly, developed slowly, developed slowly. Again, if you're a cynical fan, you say, well, he had to flash last year. Somebody did because, you know, some guys got hurt, but George Reed did take a step forward. So if he's a leader there and if a guy like Kobe Wilson is as good as advertised again, Maybe they've got some good young depth there at linebacker as well. So, um, again, we'll have a lot more, you know, spring football coverage for you uh, throughout the next few weeks. Um, there's a, and of course we have some mailbag questions to get to that are definitely football centric uh, about special teams and all sorts of other stuff. We'll flip over to basketball and we'll go back to our congestion ridden Fred uh, Sam Cohn here uh, who broke the Emmanuel Pomo news, the Wake Forest transfer mentioned him again on last week's podcast uh, in his lone season at Wake Forest. Again, the, the stats aren't going to jump out to you. Just averaged a shade over one points a game, racked up 24 rebounds, had 11 blocks through 14 games. A guy, and I'm sure you'll hear Sam say this in a second, his defense is ahead of his offense, but a guy that they targeted in the transfer portal and got him. And uh, here's a guy who's a little bit more of a traditional big and that he's a legit 6'10". Uh, Sam, what does he give him for next year? I think what Temple's getting in Emmanuel Okpomo is they're filling a need. Um, they need more size in the interior. They need someone that can de that can defend the rim because you saw so much of last of this past season. Jake Forrester can only do that for so long before he gets into foul trouble, and they didn't really have someone else that could um, they could take on that role. So then they start to be it kind of forces their hand to play small, a smaller brand of basketball. And that's when you see lineups of like JP at the five or Dre at the five or whomever. So I think bringing in a guy like Emmanuel gives you a 610 rim protector that can defend and you don't necessarily need him to put up insane points on the offensive end. You really just need him to help clear out the middle, maybe be able to catch the ball in the post. And as Aaron McKee talks about, play inside out, be able to uh, get the ball inside, be able to then kick the ball out, find shooters, be able to uh, work on the offensive glass and maybe get a couple putbacks. But I think what they're getting is a guy that's really going to compliment Jake Forrester's game because it gives Jake a little bit more room to play into his own. Emmanuel can then take on the, the opposing team's like best interior presence defending the post. And that just gives their, their big men a little bit more breathing room. And I, we've seen a lot more of towards the end of this past season, we saw a lot more of Nick Jordan stepping out to three point land. I think you're going to see something similar in Sage Tolbert. Emmanuel said he can get up and down the floor pretty well. He said he's got speed. He thinks his size is really what's going to help him. And at Wake Forest, he just didn't have a chance to develop his game offensively. They, the way he wanted to, 
or the way he felt like he needed to. So he said coming to Temple will be a chance for him to work on that aspect of his game, but he thinks that he could have an impact uh, when he gets to campus. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a kind of interesting situation where coming into the offseason with the transfer portal, you, uh, you saw a lot of Temple fans and now Scoop subscribers being like, they clearly need to get big. Jimmy Fennerty mentioned that it's no secret they need to get a big. They need help down low. And I think people started looking up every big that was in the transfer portal and going, this guy averaged 14 and nine for Winthrop. Like, he should come here. And I think kind of the opposite of what football did. I think Temple went out and got a four-year guy that they would have been ecstatic to get coming out of high school. And they'd be like, hey, this guy's a project, but we think we can develop him. I do think he's a much more traditional big. This is a guy that when he was like an eighth grader was on a skyrocket trajectory. He was 6'10 as an eighth grader. He's this guy that you look up YouTube highlight videos of him just dunking on other eighth graders, which side note, being six foot 10 as an eighth grader must be like the most uncomfortable thing in the world. Your body's <laughs> just like exploding and you're just like towering over lockers. <laughs> going to like the city Hawkins dance with like a four foot eight good four foot eight girl. Like it has to just be an unbelievable experience. Uh, you came out on the other side of manual. Um, but yeah, I think he, he just brings a dimension that they did not have on this team. I think Sam put it well when he said like, he doesn't need to, you don't need to run the offense through him. He doesn't need, you don't need to feed him down low. And just let him go all this time. If there's one thing that temple doesn't need right now, or if there's one thing that temple probably has a surplus of, it's guards that want the ball in their hands and the offense to run through them a lot with Caleb Ballot coming back and Damian Dunn coming back and Jeremiah Williams playing point guard. Like I, I feel like they just need somebody to be defensive presence down low. Uh, he's a block shot threat. Um, he has a seven foot four wingspan. Uh, I think he size wise and kind of dimension wise and the type of player wise he is, is a perfect fit in the sense that they, they needed this. He's, he's the biggest guy on the team now. He's 6'10", he's 220. Um, you get four years out of him. You hope you can develop him. You hope Jason Ivey, who isn't a coach, but has involvement in, in practices and whatnot, uh, is able to put his his fingerprints all over him. So the other uh, thing, I, think, I think it's a quality get. The other thing I'll add and take this for what it is, but one of the things I talked to Jeremiah Williams about when he first committed was Temple was his third school in three years. Right. I asked Emmanuel, a similar question. This is your fourth school in four years. Um, he was at Huntington Prep in Virginia. He was at Oak Hill his senior year. He's then at Wake Forest and now Temple. What is that transition like? And he said, it hasn't been easy. Um, I feel a sneeze coming. I'm sorry. He said, it, it's, been a, it's been a tough transition, um, but he feels like he made the right decision. He said he feels happy. He doesn't feel like he's going somewhere that... Uh, you know, they're not going to need him or that he feel uncomfortable. He said, he, this is the decision that he feels happy about. He said, obviously he said the last year or so has been pretty hard on him, but he feels happy with the decision he makes with the decision he made. He feels like he made the right decision and he's just looking forward to, um, to play a temple. And he he's built a pretty good relationship with uh, Chris Clark and Aaron McKee so far. Yeah. All that on top of being a, a in a foreign land. I mean, he's a Nigerian that has been playing uh, basketball in America for five years. So that's just something that, uh, yeah, you can't imagine what he's been going through mentally. So you hope that a situation where you're getting somebody that's already so mentally tough at dealing with real life situations. The last Nigerian center that Temple had, Michael Eric, ended up being a pretty good center. Yeah. Um, so uh, there, is, there is a track record there. Temple might have beaten San Diego State in the tournament if they had him. Yeah. I mean, he was playing on that, 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 se- that season. He was just playing on nothing. <laughs> yeah. And his, his knees finally gave out. Yeah, I think he's still playing on the Nigerian uh, national team. 
And he's playing professionally over. He was in Turkey for a long time. Now he's playing in Moscow, still making a living playing basketball, turned into a, a, a very good, you know, a fringe. Uh, he went to camp with what the, the Mavs was he in the, the, the with their yeah, league Mavs, team? Right. So a fringe pro the nicest again, in the world. Super nice man. Guy. Mike's Mike's tremendous. He's, he's an awesome guy. Um, I'm going to play a clip for you in a second, Sam, you want to intro this one? This is from your conversation with Emmanuel uh, Akpomo. What's he talking about here? Yeah. So one thing I thought might be interesting for fans to hear is part of the reason the temple was attractive to him. Obviously I mentioned that he had said that he didn't feel like he could really develop his game at Wake Forest. So just hearing from him about what he's seen from temple on film and, uh, and what he liked about what he saw. Oh, uh, I watched a little clip. I mean, they do most of like, you know, they use the big man, like, you know, most of them like screen the rules and stuff like, you know, plays. I mean, they run some, basically they just, they do like, you know, more of like, I think screen the rules, I think with the big man. And I mean, they, they work more with the big man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of like that. So I think that would be a good fit for me. And I can run the floor. So I guess, you know, that would be a good, good fit for me. And that's why, you know, yeah, so there you hear him basically say like it's the it's really the way Temple uses their bigs, which is kind of what Kyle and I were getting at a moment ago. Is that he can th- he can likely thrive in pick and roll situations. He can be he can be the roller and be available diving to the hoop. He can help clear out the middle. And as Kyle mentioned, Temple has a surplus of guards that like to have the ball in their hands. So if they're going to run more pick and rolls, I mean that was a good amount of what he was doing in the offense at Wake Forest. I think that's probably where you're going you're gonna to see him thrive offensively. Where you're going to see him get court time, though, is what he's able to do at the defensive end. All right, so let's get to the mailbag here. We have uh, plenty of questions to get to, some basketball-related, some football-related. First question, this is a basketball one from West Coast Al. Question is, is the roster attrition complete? Um, that partly refers to, again, we haven't touched on this yet, Brendan Barry hit the portal. We're not really surprised about that. You know, with Hysier Miller coming in, got to remember that Jaleel White is going to be taking up some minutes, we would assume, next year. Um, so he's going to be on his way out. We'll talk about this in a second. I would think, guys, feel free to disagree with me. I think the roster attrition is complete now. Again, we weren't expecting Dre Perry to stick around. We weren't expecting J.P. Mormon to stick around. We know that those guys have at the portal. J.P., I believe, did his own press release. He's going to be at UC Riverside. Uh, Dre Perry, we don't know where he's going just yet. Uh, again, I haven't talked to those guys individually, probably same thing. They're probably thinking, all right, more of our minutes are going to go to players like Quincy Adam McCoy, all the other guards and wings, um, Brendan Barry. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see where he ends up. We have not been given any indication from people that we've talked to. I know that some people are going to say what's going on with Ty Strickland, what's going on with the Rosham parks, nothing yet. Um, and again, I think once you get down to it, I think sometimes people will, look at every single roster spot and say every, all 13 guys, sometimes fans look at all 13 guys on the roster and say, well, you know, you got to remember that like all 13 guys on the roster are not going to be playing 20 minutes. And some guys are going to be depth guys. And in this case, Ty Strickland and, you know, Ty Strickland for all we know might want to play one more year at temple, finish out his degree, and then maybe go somewhere else for his last season, or maybe Rashman parks is, is doing the same thing. I, I would think that the roster attrition is, is, is done by now. Yeah, John, I would tend to agree with you about that. Um, Barry, I mean, there's still – I wouldn't rule out Brendan Barry um, because from my understanding is he entered the – I mean, he obviously entered the transfer portal. Barry's a very close vest guy. Um, I think recently the – I don't know if this is recently, but the Ivy League passed um, something that grad transfers can now play because of 
or because of COVID. Um, and from if you remember from my conversation back in November with Barry, he didn't want to leave Dartmouth, but he felt like he had to in order to play basketball. So maybe that could be a situation there where he, he's going to try and see if he can go play at Dartmouth. Um, and who knows, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a Dre Perry, um, JP Mormon situation where like you can close the door on that. But uh, besides him, I, I can't see any, anything else bes- happening. All right. Next question in the mailbag. Uh, this one comes from Park Al. What does Okpomo's transfer do to the big man rotation next year? I mean, before Sam, before I send this over to you, I, I don't think it does anything to rotation, it just adds to it, right? I mean, it's you're bringing in Sage Tolbert, you're just adding another piece. I don't know if he's necessarily taking minutes away from anybody. Again, I'm not trying to sound harsh, but Rashford Parks wasn't playing. Nick Jordan is a different type of player, right? I don't envision them playing the same. Well, I guess they didn't play. I see them probably playing some small ball next year, but I don't think it's going to be like elevated from last year. I envision the uh, between the four of them, um, Nick Jordan, Jake Forrester, now Emmanuel Akpomo and Sage Tolbert, probably uh, sharing the four or five role for a majority of the game. You're probably going to see, I mean, Aaron McKee has said on multiple occasions, he likes quick subs. He likes to play guys in spurts to keep fresh legs on the floor. So I envision the four of them kind of rotating at those two positions with kind of junking up the game with small ball lineups, but I, I don't envision him taking away a lot of minutes, especially if Jake Forster can't figure out how to stay out of foul trouble. Then when he does get into foul trouble, Emmanuel Acomo is going to be the guy they look to. I think if anything, he's taking the minutes from, or him and Sage are taking minutes from a guy who's now at UC Riverside. I mean, they played play JP Mormon a lot at the four last year right. that that's now a lot of minutes that are available to that group of picks. Yeah. Next question here in the mailbag from HBG Al. It appears that Akpomo's game is still pretty raw, in your opinion, with a lot of uh, a lot of more ready to play fours and fives still in the portal. Was Akpomo's offer or signing more of a he was the only big that showed legit interest and wanted to sign with Temple, and the staff didn't want to wait and totally strike out for a big, or was he quote unquote their man as soon as he hit the portal because they are enamored with the size and future potential? Also, did Temple recruit him out of high school? Was the staff already familiar with his game? Uh, I, I'm of the understanding. I've talked to a couple of people about this. They did target him right away. They see him as an impact guy defensively, offensively as a way to go. Again, he's the guy that you'll typically hear described. A lot of times we hear this in basketball's defense is ahead of his offense. I think you describe him that way. But they see him as a rim protector and somebody who can help defensively right away. As Kyle said, the interesting approach here is that they went for a guy who, you know, almost like, like they would a high school recruit, a guy that's not just going to be a one and done at the end of his career type of thing. They went for a guy with more long range potential. So no, he was not a guy where they just said, gee, nobody else is, is coming to us. Obviously the portal's a crazy place right now, but he is, he is a player that they targeted next. Also, uh, sorry. We'll just one more, just one more thing to cut in. He mentioned that he put his name into the portal days after Wake Forest season ended and then within two days of his name being in the portal, the Temple had reached out. So clearly he was of uh, you know a high interest for Temple. Mm-hmm. Next question here comes from the screen name 215 Temple Tough. Heading to football here. Has Coach Carey talked at all about the importance of improving special teams play? Have they taken the time to really analyze what went wrong and why it's been so bad and what can be done to fix such a glaring hole that's been there for his entire tenure so far? We didn't talk specifically to him right i actually again we get what 15 20 minutes 
with Rod Carey, you know, in the, in the weekly press conferences throughout the season, when they're in person, sometimes they can go half hour, 40 minutes, but I don't think he got asked about, well, I shouldn't say he didn't get asked about special teams. Sam Newman, I'll turn this over to you. I mean, he had some interesting stuff to say about, about the kicking position, but you know, to answer the first part of the question here, yes. I mean, the coaches aren't idiots. They, they know that special teams needs to improve. I get it. It's cost them some games. It hasn't been a bright spot in this, in this coaching staff's tenure. Of course they know it needs to be fixed. So I don't think they're immune to that or oblivious to that. Uh, I can't say that, that he delved into it too much on Monday, but again, he did talk about the, the kicking position, Sam, and uh, talked about how Rory Bell is essentially on a, on an audition this spring and, Right. Yeah. No, he pretty much said that this is Rory's opportunity to, you know, really prove that he, he can earn the kicking job. And he said, if he shows that it's his, if not, you know, we'll go out and get a kicker pretty much. And so I don't think the walk on kicker that they brought on from Bloomsburg university, um, I have to worry. I don't know if he's going to be pushing Rory or not. I don't know if he's not, he's listed on the roster doesn't have official number, so we'll see. But um, he pretty much said like, this is Rory's opportunity to, to push forward and, and win the job if he wants. And I also, with, you mentioned the point about special teams. I just wanted to add, like, I feel like, I mean, it's easy for me to say that it can't be any worse, but I feel like how we mentioned that they have so much depth at other positions that it might be an opportunity for players who are not seeing the field to see the field and make an impact. So, um, I mean, I, I think it's obviously something that the staff needs to get better after the previous two seasons, but that, that might be a point of emphasis as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I, I kind of harken back to last year where Adam Barry had a bad 2019, right? Adam Barry gets brought in from Last Chance U, has a bad first year at Temple, and they kind of gave him the opportunity to prove that he deserved to be that guy still the next year. And he responds with a significantly better 2020 right. season. Like Adam Barry was a much better punter in 2020 than he was in 2019. Um, so I, I guess if you're an optimist, if you're a Rod Carey, you're hoping that Roy Bell, who has a talented leg, who you recruited for a reason coming out of Ohio. You hope that he makes that next step, I and mean, he was accurate, but not so much on, on kickoffs. That I'm not super worried about because I think in the end, if he has a bad spring, it's kind of easy to bring in like a one-year kicker guy. I'm more worried about the general special teams when it comes to like kickoff returns, sure. kickoff return coverage, punt returns, because that's an aspect that is a lot harder because it requires 11 people to happen. Um, and it's something that they just really have not been successful at since Rod Carey's come here, um, even when they had Isaiah Wright in 2019. So that'll be something to watch. What, what was interesting was last year, since you didn't have to worry about red shirts, you saw a lot of like true freshmen play special teams. Mm-hmm. You saw James Del Pesco play on multiple special teams because it didn't matter because he's still a true freshman this year. It counts next year. You're going to lose eligibility if you play five games on special teams. So I wonder if that'll still be a situation where it's, hey, freshmen come cut your teeth here, or if you might see – no, we're going to veteran players are going to have to play special teams because one, they're our best players, and two, because we don't want to waste redshirt years on of Jalen McMurray if he doesn't play or somebody like that. I feel like you'll see like the Trey Blairs of the world though on, on special teams. Yeah, that, that's another interesting situation though, like using him as an example. He's still technically a true freshman, like mm-hmm. he has five years to play four left. True. So, like, if the safeties are as deep as we think. Does somebody like him or somebody that still has their redshirt year, like, do you redshirt them? Like, I, I don't know. It, this is the craziest time. In but is it the case history. if they all if they play less than four games? Like, I, that right. they, no, yeah, so they can still do that. They can, okay, they can so, absolutely still do that. So That's maybe so what happens is if the veterans start, you know, not doing so well, Carrie's like, all right, 
I'll put in Trey Blair. That sure. Is... I mean, I also think Trey yeah. Blair is going to play enough that yeah. like redshirting is not really like a right. on the table unless an injury happens. Not I can see table. Rod doing something like that. Well, like, yeah, there's going to be those. Decisions. This is the weirdest roster management of since forever. Like, he's not <laughs> the only coach in the world that has to go through this right now. So maybe they can all get on a group chat and figure it out. <laughs> a few more, a uh, few more mailbag questions to get here. Next one comes from Mike TB31. The question is. When can we expect the QB room to take shape based on a preliminary depth chart? Was the perceived rep breakdowns for the QB candidates, which guys are getting the bulk of the reps with the first team wide receivers? We haven't seen a depth chart yet. Don't know if we'll see a spring depth chart. Uh, we haven't, can't say we've actually asked about that specifically. We I can feel like 2019, we got a, we got a post spring depth chart. Post spring. Yeah. I don't know that we'll yeah. see one. And again, I could be wrong. You know, they could always release one next week for all we know. We didn't even, we didn't even get a spring prospectus this year. No, um, but you know, again, we, we would be speculating here if we're looking at. I mean, if we if if Mike is asking us to take a stab at the depth chart, I, I'm I'm guessing it's Duan Mathis, Mariano Valente, Real Mitchell, Duncan, Kamal Gray. Honestly, I'm not even sure. I'm not. Super sold on Mario and Valente being number two at this point. I mean, sure, maybe it's going that way, but as of right now, after two or three practices, I bet you Real Mitchell would still be considered like the number two until yeah. something else happens. Yeah. Uh, but to answer the question of like who's getting reps with what, I think it was interesting that I think your Ramovich say mentioned that they are running, they're kind of doing the old Jeff Collins thing where, hey, let's maximize the number of stuff here. They're running mm-hmm. two different sets at a time. So that way you basically have all four quarterbacks are getting a significant amount of reps. They're not running it like Matt Rule used to run it where it was a, like an NFL-style practice where the number one quarterback gets all that. Like At least for spring, it seems like since it's a wide-open competition, they're trying to give everybody a fair shake at, mm-hmm. at, at winning it. Two more questions to get to. Next one from What What TU is the screen name. Obviously only had three days of spring ball at this point, but based off of what the coaches and players have said, what has been the most surprising thing to you guys so far? I'll, I'll make this even sort of not super football related. The fact that every single coach we've talked to yet talked to so far has said like, this is the closest thing normal we've felt yeah. in a long time. So like, even though they still have COVID protocols in place and stuff like that, like the city is loosening its restrictions. People are getting more vaccinated. Mortality rates are down, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like they are finally starting to get into more of like a normal practice routine. So that wasn't necessary. I kind of envisioned that they would still be, teetering that line for a while of we aren't able to do full practices fully we're working in groups we got team squad a and squad b but no it seems like for the most part other than being careful hold up pablo sandoval just hit a two-run homer phenomenal uh other than being extra careful and, and socially distancing it seems like it's a fairly regular uh spring practice our atlanta listenership will love that last cut in from kyle that, I, I would say that I would, I would, I would say that's what stood out to me too. Again, I think on that first day, I think somebody asked Rod, like, what does it look like? And he just kept saying, we're practicing, you know, we're practicing. Yes. We still have COVID protocol, Sam and Sam, anything else you guys want to add on this one? I mean, I mean, I think what Kyle said is probably the most surprising thing. Obviously, I don't think there's anything that's been that surprising with with the positional battles. I mean, because we're not there, frankly, and it's, it's hard to tell. You're just, I mean, are, am I surprised that I haven't heard like certain players names yet? Sure. Like you would think that we'd hear something about maybe Manny Walker and what he can do. But like, I'm sure we'll talk to Walter Stewart and he'll, he'll offer his thoughts. And, you know, I, I think 
I think it's just a matter of they have so many players that they're not going to name all of them. So I'm not really – that's not, like, really a surprise to me. I think the one thing um, that's not a surprise but something that we haven't mentioned is Tavon really is not going to be participating in um, spring ball. I think he's still – I don't know what injury he suffered, but he, he is – surgery, right? Was it something related with his, like, arm or – I thought he had uh... – I don't know, but um, Oddly Isaac's injuries, they think they'll get Oddly Isaac's back before the end of spring ball. But, yeah, Ruley's not there. So, looks like the Rovon uh, Bonner and Iverson Clement show and maybe somebody like Kyle Dobbins, Onassis Neely, or Edward Sadie can emerge as a third yeah, back. Taylor Ruley missed the ECU game, right? Like, he missed it, like, injured. It wasn't COVID, I think. I thought that he was just, like, like no yeah. Like no, you know, that's why Onassis Neely and Edward Sadie or whatever played as much as they did in that game. Did he get hurt in the ECU game, like at halftime? I th- I'm not sure. I, I was under the impression that he just didn't play in ECU. But whatever it might be, um, yeah, like I think that's a situation where you're probably looking at like 2002 Eagles. I think they're envisioning like three running backs to have significant roles in this offense of Rayvon Bonner, Iverson Clement, and Tavon Ruley. Uh, Tavon Ruley – Showed flashes. I mean, he was productive at times once uh, Ramon Davis transferred out, but I think most people would agree that he's probably better suited as a part of a committee. So, Well, something uh, that has to improve is the run blocking. They were one of the worst teams in the in the FBS in terms of run blocking. Um, which you kind of just assume that Rayvon Bonner is going to be good at, or at least like an improvement at, just because he means that he's an older guy. He's been doing this for a long time. He's playing the Big Ten where like run blocking is very important for the running back position or pass blocking is very important from the running back position as well. So like I would expect an improvement in that area. Uh, last question. Having never talked to Ray Bonner, I would expect <laughs> an improvement. Um, but we'll be talking to him soon uh, again. Tomorrow. Yeah, fun thing about this again. And I think it's important to note, uh, as you guys said, that you know, when you, when you're covering any sort of off season stuff, you know, the coaches are sometimes just going to talk. I mean, they'll talk about the obviously good players, but sometimes, you know, a fan or a reader might say to you, Oh God, the, the, the coach didn't talk about this guy. And it's sometimes just cause they just weren't asked about them. That's why a lot of times you'll hear just from a procedural standpoint, some coaches will say, I don't want to leave anybody out. Who am I forgetting? Oh, how could I have forgotten about this guy? And sometimes someone listening to this podcast or reading a story might say, gee, this person's name isn't coming up. I wonder what's going on. It's just maybe nobody asked about them that day and didn't have time to ask about them or the coach just said, oh, we, yeah, I forgot to mention. We have a small window to ask. They have a small window to talk. We're not going to go down the roster of all 95 guys. So, yeah, people fall through the cracks. Yeah. Um, last question here from Chicago. Al's the screen name looking at our current QB room. It appears that Dewan Mathis may have the best chance of starting, and it seems like he has established a good report, Blue, and some others on offense with the starting quarterback spot be pretty much Mathis's job to lose this season. Again, we've talked about this before, but I think so. But again, I don't think that you'll hear him say that. I certainly don't think that you'll hear the, the coaches say that. I'll just put it this way. I think if everything maintains exactly the same, like if you super simmed right now to August 25th and nothing has changed, then yes, I would assume Dwan Mathis is the starting quarterback against Rutgers. But there is four and a half, five months until Rutgers that I think so much can change. And you see so much more in August that I'm not yet willing to commit to like Dwan Mathis has the, is the starting quarterback. Oh, anyway, that'll do it for this week. Thank you for all the mailbag questions. Uh, Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, Again, we'll have more for you next week. A lot more audio as we get more media availability. 
throughout the spring practice. Again, we'll certainly let you know if things do open up and we can get down there. We'll be able to see a little bit more for now. It's a lot of stuff over Zoom. So again, thanks for tuning in this week and we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.